turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 21, verse 11 through 12. The burden against Duma. He calls to me out of Seir, Watchman, what of the night? The watchman said, the morning comes and also the night. Watchman, what of the night? And the paradoxical response, the morning is coming and also the night. Father, speak a word to us today, I pray, and let your spirit truly talk to us. Talk to us. Talk to us, God. I ask you to do so in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. It's easy to read this and not even really understand what this verse is about. In ancient cities and up until relatively modern times historically, just a century or so ago, it was very common for cities, villages, towns to have a watchman or several watchmen that at night were assigned the task of watching over the city. It was the responsibility of these that were appointed as watchmen to keep a lookout for thieves or for even invading armies, which was uh, not unusual in many parts of the world, even up until a century ago. And as he made his rounds, especially in towns that were possibly in danger of invasion, the concerned citizens would hear him. There was no air conditioning. Houses were not as tightly sealed uh, back then. And so you could hear outside noises in your home a lot easier, and they would hear him going through the streets, and they would ask, Watchman, what of the night? And he would be making his rounds, and he would respond, and he would say, All is well. In this particular passage of Scripture that is prophetic in nature, God is speaking to the nation of Israel, but as is often the case with Scripture, it transcends a single interpretation and oftentimes is multipositional in terms of what it means. God will use an illustration like this, for example, to then make a point that is completely current and relevant to the world and times in which we live. And he says the watchman's response was the morning is coming and also the night. Now, that immediately makes us ponder its meaning because how can morning and evening arrive at the same time? And I think that clearly just the way it is worded indicates there's something that is very significant that is being uh, communicated here that we should take the time to try to learn what it means. I believe that we are entering one of the darkest hours our nation has ever known. I believe that. But at the same time, we may very well be approaching the dawn of a new day of hope and righteousness in our country. And what do I mean by that? I speak in reference to what is happening in our nation regarding the attack against Christianity, faith, and the Bible. Amen. Whether it turns out that darkness or light prevails is going to depend entirely upon whether or not God's church in this nation does what His church has been created and mandated to do. Amen. We are going to determine whether it's darkness that falls on this nation or the dawn of a new day that rises. We are created to be agents by God of change for good in society. That's the purpose of the church and the earth. I believe that one reason that Christianity is under attack these days and the Bible and faith in God is because the enemy, and when I speak of the enemy, let me be clear, I'm speaking of the devil and not people. You may think people are the enemy, but and oftentimes they are the ones the enemy might use, but they're not the enemy. It is the devil who is the real enemy. And I think Christianity is under attack, as is the Bible and the Word of God and faith in God, because the enemy truly fears what will happen if we, in love, wake up and use our power and influence to fulfill our God-given objectives. Amen. The Bible calls us three things. 
salt, light, and yeast. Salt is a preservative and a flavoring. But you should know, and this has been forgotten to a large extent because most of us take many of the things we have for granted, such as modern refrigeration. But you should know that salt was used for things other than flavoring for many, many, many centuries. Its most common use was not even for flavoring. Salt was used to preserve foods for centuries, even millenniums. Oh, I doubt that there's anybody here that doesn't enjoy good country cured ham every once in a while for breakfast. But let me just tell you, it's cured the way it is with salt, not to make it taste a little differently. It was cured that way because there was a time that was the only way to preserve meat, including beef and fish. Sailors, for example, you will read in poetry and literature Throughout history, they were called salts, those old salts. And they were called that because they would go to sea for months on end. And the only meat they had while they were at sea was salt-cured meats. And when Jesus called us the salt of the earth, he didn't just mean that we flavor everything. He meant we're in the world to preserve the world because the enemy's intention is to destroy and spoil God's creation. Amen. We're also called light, and light dispels darkness. The smallest candle pierces the darkest night. And we're placed in the earth to vanquish darkness in our society, not hide our light under a bushel. Yeast changes dough. If you've ever enjoyed good sourdough bread, you will know that those who know about these things talk about sourdough and the starter, and the starter goes all the way back maybe to 100 or even 150 years ago. And um, what they're referring to is the yeast that was put in it. Yeast was put in dough, and it causes it to rise. And you ought to know a little something after all this preaching this year about making things rise because I've been talking to you about elevation. This is the upward call of God. We're put in society because we're sent here to cause it to rise when the enemy is trying to tear it down. Amen. As American Christians, I am thankful that we actually have been given a better opportunity to do this than most of the rest of the believers in the world. Our right to vote according to our beliefs and conscience and to vote privately, meaning we can vote and then not be penalized afterward because nobody knows what we voted in that, that voting booth. Uh, it's given us the opportunity to actually act in defense of our faith and beliefs in a way that most Christians in the world have not been privileged to enjoy. They don't do this in China. They don't do it in many other parts of the world. Um, East Africa, where I'm at routinely, votes are a formality. But uh, they, uh, there was one, last year, um, they, not last year, they have in this country I'm referring to, there's a five-year cycle of voting. And there was a big uproar because the ballots were delivered to the polling stations already filled full of ballots cast for the incumbent president. And they hadn't even opened the polls yet. So the voting is a formality in many parts of the world that doesn't really have any significance or meaning. And we in America actually get to vote. And we can vote our conscience and our faith. And yet, do you know that 40 million evangelical Christians do not vote or use this privilege every year? when there is an election, and that is way more than enough to ensure that this country remains a Christian nation in terms of the values that this nation embraces. But the result of us not voting is that those who are not Christians, as the Bible defines Christianity, and I don't mean to offend anybody, because these days everybody calls themselves Christian, and they're kind of like a dog trying to be a cat. It doesn't make them meow any better just to call themselves a Christian. Amen. I understand that term to mean that you're trying to be like Christ. And I find it hard to see how you can be like Christ without embracing the Bible that God gave us because Christ was the living Bible, the living Word. Amen. And I've wondered what the Apostle Paul and others who were persecuted 
burned alive, bodies covered with pitch, stuck on stakes in the gardens of Nero, set on fire, and while they died in agony, screaming, Nero used their burning bodies to eliminate his parties and his orgies. I've wondered what Christians like that that were beheaded, or even those in modern times like Rush in Russia or in China would think of us if they knew that many of us don't even go to the polls. And uh, we need to be wise stewards of every resource God gives us. And one of the most significant of those resources that ultimately will determine even things like the economy is your vote. Amen. And yet many of us do not vote. And part of the reason that we don't is because Christians have been misled and taught that it is worldly to be involved in things like politics and the media and entertainment and arts and so forth. And we've been taught that we're supposed to just wait until Jesus raptures us out of this mess and we get carried out of here. Now, that's not really what the Bible teaches us to do, though I do believe in the rapture and I do want to be among that number that's called out of here. Amen. But the Bible says in Luke 19, 13, we should occupy until he comes. And the word occupy is a military term. The dictionary says occupy is to march aggressively into another's territory by military force for the purposes of conquest and occupation. It doesn't mean to just be there. It means to be there to control what's going on. Christians have been left in this world rather than being raptured when they got saved because God wants you as a part of his army of the kingdom of God to occupy and take over this world from the enemy that's trying to destroy it. Amen. Amen. And I don't mean to be offensive. You've known me through the years. I'm not the kind to, to offend anybody, and certainly not intentionally. But another reason is both our busyness and our laziness. We don't vote because we're so busy, and some of us just don't think our vote's going to count a lot. And we don't, we don't want to have to do the research to see what the issues are. And we don't have to research the candidates and see what they stand for and who and what we should be voting for. And you know what we do? We even decide like this. We trust others to make our decisions for us. And so we vote with a particular party or we vote the advice of a particular group or, or what's our union recommending, all kind of things. And we don't bother to research the issues. And there are other reasons we don't vote as well. And I'll get to some of those. But I want you to understand at the outset that clearly part of the enemy's agenda is to destroy all faith in God. Jesus even asked in Luke 18 and verse number 8, if when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? Amen. There is an orchestrated attack coordinated in the corridors of hell by the enemy to try and destroy faith. The kingdom of darkness hates the Bible. It hates God, and the spokesman for this new movement that I want to destroy the church and the Bible and the, any faith in God, the, the spokesman, the most outspoken among them, are, are those they call the new atheists. Now, the old atheists, as opposed to the new, were different. The old atheists, like Madeline Murray O'Hare, were content to not believe in God and yet allow others to believe what they wanted. The new atheists are different. They want to destroy Christianity altogether. You need to know that. This is what is now being taught in universities. They demand that we be tolerant of their right to not believe, but they have no tolerance for those who do believe. Am I making that up? One of the most important and significant of their spokesmen is Richard Dawkins, author of The God Delusion. Listen to what he has to say about God. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully.
Is that your God they're talking about? Is that the God you found that you serve? A bully? A most unpleasant character that's ever existed? Well, listen to Christopher Hitchens as he talks about God. With folded arms, with indifference, with coldness. And then around three to 4,000 years ago, but only in really barbaric, illiterate parts of the Middle East. <laughs> not in China, not in China or where people can read or think or do science. No, no, no. In barbaric, illiterate, backward parts of the Middle East, it's decided we can't let this go on. We better intervene. <laughs> and what better way than by human sacrifices and plagues and mass murder? And if that doesn't make them behave morally, we just don't know what does. <laughs> if there is a single person in this room who can bring themselves to believe anything remotely like that, Listen. they convict themselves of being, first, very stupid, and second, very immoral. And thus, it seems to me that the case for divine intervention and for the supernatural falls, and that we should be glad that it's fallen. And thank you. Oh, so now we're stupid and immoral. You did see the sign at the bottom. You're speaking at one of our universities. Sam Harris, Lawrence Krauss, the list is endless. Christopher Hitchens just died not long ago of cancer. It is a dark time for our world and our country. However, as I stated, we may very well be approaching the dawn of a new and glorious day for our nation if believers realize this is what's happening and it's time for us to speak up or we'll never be able to speak up. If this becomes the catalytic force that causes us to arise, we'll look back and say, thank you, God, for waking us up. Amen. There are two events that are occurring right now that make me say this is a dark time even here in Houston. First, did you hear the, about the church that opened this week in spring? The greater church of Lucifer? Notice they're not complaining about that. It's only Christians. Hello, somebody. Calling us a danger to the world. Calling us stupid. Amen. Saying our God is cruel. Oh, really? And second, there is the election that is going to be held this week. We are entering the most important election period that our city has ever known. And I'm concerned because I see matters that have to do with faith being completely misrepresented and being misrepresented intentionally. Were it just politics, you know me, I've been here 28 years. I have never gotten involved in any kind of a political campaign. I would not say a word if it were politics alone. But when it comes to our faith, the Bible, and to us as Christians, and what we should believe as a pastor, and therefore as a watchman, I have no choice but to speak. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Amen. And one of the real dangers is not even rather or not you believe in this proposition one. So let's put the meaning out of it aside and what it stands for, and we'll get closer to that in a moment. But it's the way this whole thing has been handled. After years of having, having had our voting privileges manipulated by those in charge to ensure we will vote a certain way, and if you don't believe the people of America are being manipulated to vote a certain way, I've got some prime, ocean, prime oceanfront property I can sell you in Kansas. Amen. Amen. We have been manipulated by the powers that be. And rather than studying the issues and voting according to our beliefs and our conscience, we're now in danger of losing our right to vote in this nation altogether. And it's happening right here in Houston. And you say, are, are you serious? Yes. In 1870, the 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution guaranteed the right to vote to all people regardless of color. However, as all of us know, the authorities found a way to keep many Americans from voting, including women were not allowed to vote at all. Many blacks were not allowed to vote. A few privileged were. And no American Indians could vote. 
After decades of struggle, the women's suffrage movement finally gained the right to vote for women in 1920 under the 19th Amendment of the Constitution. Thank God. And women were given the right and the privilege to vote. American Indians even then were not considered to be citizens of the United States until the last century. They didn't, and that's part of my ancestors on my grandmother's side. They didn't become citizens of the United States of America, though they were the ones living in America when Columbus first got here. They were not considered citizens until the Indian Citizenship Act was passed on June the 24th, 1924. Before then, they were not even a part of America. Amen. After long decades of struggle and many years of exclusion and disenfranchisement, the Voting Rights Act was finally established in 1965 because of the price that people like Martin Luther King Jr. and others paid that guaranteed all people, including blacks and including my American Indian ancestors, were given the right to vote. Now that right to vote is in danger of being taken away from us all, regardless of race, by those who feel they know what is better for us than we do. Amen. You see, that's a big statement, Pastor. America was founded as a democracy. Quick history lesson. People came to America to flee oppression and to have the right to self-determination. This nation was created that we could choose our own form of government rather than having others tell us how we should live. That is now changing. What the Supreme Court did recently in redefining marriage this past June was to effectively create law, something our U.S. Constitution forbid them to do, and in effect, the five people on the Supreme Court who voted to change the definition of a marriage took away the right for American citizens to vote on this issue, and they decided that matter for us. You say, no big deal. Oh, really? Let me tell you what they did. They changed our democracy into a plutocracy. A plutocracy, quote, from the dictionary, is a political system governed by the wealthy people, and it nearly always ensures that those who are at the top stay there while keeping the rest of us under their feet. If you think they're going to give up that power, it's not happened in any country short of revolution. Amen. And I don't want to see that ever come to this place in America. On Tuesday, you're going to be asked to vote on what has been called a civil rights resolution. It isn't about civil rights at all. Not at all. Our civil rights are guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution thanks to people like Martin Luther King Jr., amen. You say, but you're a white man. I already told you I've got American Indian blood. My ancestors on his side can thank him for the sacrifices and others that marched in Selma to give us the right as a minority group to be able to vote, amen. Now that is in danger of being taken away from us, not only as believers, but as citizens of this great nation. I'm referring to what is called the hero part of proposition number one, the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance. This is not about equal rights. We've got those guaranteed already. Amen. This is a bathroom resolution that will allow men to use the female restroom facilities, the female showers, and the female locker rooms. And please understand, I have animus to know, toward no one, regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, gender, uh, lifestyle, or anything else. You have never in the years I have been here as your pastor heard me denigrate any individual, regardless of who or what they might be. But when a man is given the right to simply say, at that moment, I feel like I'm a female, and he is then given the legal right to use the ladies' restrooms, locker rooms, and showers, I have a problem with that. Because my wife, amen, I have a wife, I have a daughter, I have granddaughters, I have female relatives in my family, that I don't want to have to endure this. And I know what they're saying. Oh, it doesn't mean that at all. 
Attorney after attorney after attorney has read this and not one of them has agreed with what they've said. They all say it means a man can walk in and here's the kicker. If your wife or daughter or granddaughter is there and you try to stop him, you can be fined for $5,000. If you own the business, you can be fined $500 a day indefinitely. Is this what we really want to have happening in the United States of America? They tried this in other places, like Toronto, Canada. Let me tell you what, Toronto had to repeal this. You know why? Toronto University, Toronto, University of Toronto in Ontario, Canada. Because guys were going in the lockers in the showers saying, I feel like I'm a woman, and using their cell phones hidden in a towel and so forth to videotape women in the restroom and taking their showers. Do you want videotapes put on the internet where they will be for the rest of eternity, amen, of your wife or your granddaughters or your daughters because somebody has done this? It is an open license to sexual predators. Amen. The third reason we don't exercise our right to vote is the deliberate confusion that clouds the issues of our times. The enemy, once again referring to the devil and not people, puts forth issues as being other than what they actually are. Amen. And by calling this civil rights, they're hoping to tap into the emotion, the justifiable emotion, the justifiable concern of minority groups who were not treated well for many, many years. And by just using that term, they know that's a button they can push to almost ensure that minorities are going to vote uh, for this thing because they think it protects them. And not bothering to read the six to 7,000 words of the proposition, you don't see what it really consists of. But there's another reason they cloud the issue. These issues are being called civil rights because they know the majority of Americans will go to any length in an attempt to avoid being labeled as bigots or haters. That was a part of the past of this nation that everyone wants to leave behind. That way, they know the voting majority in the United States will be sure to vote the way they want them to rather than have somebody call them a bigot. The part about vets in this ordinance is a good thing. The, the, the part about tax, the property tax, there are some good aspects, but what you want to do is vote against the hero ordinance because it's going to end up leading to zero freedom for Christians before it's over with. Say zero to hero. Amen. That's what you need to do. Amen. And do not put at risk your Christian liberties. I'm not just telling you this alone. I'm in good company. The men of this city that are pastors and women who are pastors have stood up and they have only found a few pastors out there who some of them I know who in their churches do gay marriages. Those are the ones you see in the advertisements condoning the hero ordinance. I'm not making that up. Amen. Some of those people I preached for before they took that position. But listen, for example, to, and it's a little lengthy, forgive me, Dr. Ed Young of Second Baptist, who is the, the fifth largest church in, among the top five largest churches in our nation. Dr. Young spoke this earlier this month. Some of us have been engaged in trying to get this ordinance revoked and rejected that our city council passed that was orchestrated and put on the ballot and on the agenda by our mayor. The ordinance was passed and then a strange thing happened. We gathered in a rather short period of time under Dave Welch and others, and we got a lot of petitions, probably 40 or 50,000 different names. We have them here in a vault. You're welcome to come and count them anytime you would like. A lot of them were tragically thrown out, not by the individual that by the rules and procedures of the city of Houston should affirm whether or not a signature is genuine, but by arbitrary 
arbitrary decision by the mayor and her legal counsel. We had thousands more names than are necessary, not only the names, but the voter registration numbers, and we had it notarized sheet by sheet by sheet as very carefully we tried to stay inside the procedure that was put before us, and we got more than enough names. But enough names were thrown out in this unbelievable decision made by our mayor to keep this from being on the ballot. Remember, that's the issue. Don't let the people vote. Whatever we do, don't let the citizens of Houston vote. So we went through one, two, three different court procedures. Finally, the Supreme Court of Texas decided decisively, and I think unanimously, that this, enough signatures have been put down and it must be on the ballot. Then we fought another thing. Let's confuse everybody by the wording on the ballot, not knowing whether to vote for it or where to vote against it. And we had to go to court yet again and get legal procedures until we think the verbiage on the ballot at least is such that you understand the vote no. Now, by the same token, if you read the verbiage on the ballot, guess what? I'd say, oh, I'm for this. Once again, there is deception involved as to how the people are to vote. That's right. So we have fought, battled, prayed, tried to conduct ourselves as citizens who are genuinely interested in the welfare of our city. Now, the spin that has taken place here is indeed interesting. Those of us who are against this bathroom ordinance, an ordinance which, by the way, is between six and 7,000 words. Isn't that interesting? An ordinance that, if anyone who is an attorney, and we've had several attorneys look at it, it can be interpreted in a zillion different ways. And it is said that, well, the other major cities of Houston have signed off on an ordinance, not an ordinance as deadly and decisive and I think as damning as this audience, as this ordinance as far as the privacy of men and the privacy of women are concerned. This is not like the other ordinances. I think it goes yet another step. Now, those of us who are against it, we are positioned as racists, as bigots, as those who discriminate against others. The very reverse is true. I think this ordinance discriminates against men and women and those who believe that female women and children and male men and their children need to have separate facilities as we have throughout our history in bathroom and in showers and other public entities. And to think that we're discriminating because that's simply what we ask for and what we've had historically in our city and for that matter in our nation and virtually in our world. Unbelievable. So we are being discriminated against. And the idea that there's some kind of mentality in which we do not accept people. We live in a pluralistic America. Regardless of background, race, creed, doesn't make any difference. Regardless of orientation, doesn't make any difference. But yet, this crosses a line that is absolutely deadly to the generations that are alive now, generations that will come. Also, attorneys who've led this say that the business world is in greater jeopardy than they can imagine. And I'm sure others will speak to that because that may be a part of the most onerous part of this ordinance. So we're here today to say, vote. Vote no to this first ordinance. Don't be deceived by the wording, by the wording. Vote no, and hopefully we can turn back the secularization of our city 
and become a city like the Allen brothers planned. Go down and look at the plaque on the Buffalo Bow. When they planted the city of Houston, they said, we're looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's on the plaque, the foundation of the city of Houston. We're not here in judgment. We're not here in condemnation. We're not here with any spirit we hope except the spirit of our Lord. And to say simply to all people of Houston, all backgrounds, that you will vote no and keep somehow the privacy that we think is essential to safeguard our children and our wives and all who come into our city. The idea has been, well, uh, Houston will be looked upon as a city that discriminates, the very opposite. We'll be looked upon a city that is open to anybody and everybody. Just we have these sacred areas that we believe are sacred and are important for us to maintain. We have several other speakers. I think we have to not only vote no, we have to look at the mayor's race, yeah, let's hear and I'm sure others will speak to that. We have one candidate who says no to this ordinance. We have most of the candidates who are for it, and one candidate who's trying to face in both directions. <laughs> so you figure that out. We're not in the business of endorsing candidates. We're in the business of making moral decisions. You say, well, this is politics. Have you ever read the Bible? Who were the Herodians and the Pharisees and the Sadducees? God, Jesus had to stand out in that day to get righteousness to reign. And so this is what we're about. Hopefully, with a loving spirit. Uh... Thank you. Amen. And now, Dr. F.N. Williams, Sr., who is a civil rights leader, leader who marched with Martin Luther King, Jr., who has said that the black community is insulted by calling this a civil rights issue because he paid the price for what civil rights was all about. He is the pastor of Antioch Missionary Baptist Church. Listen to him. Thank you, um, Brother Willich the great pastor, Dr. Young. I stand humbly today in the presence of our God and before you today. I never thought that by 86 years of living that I would face this day. 70 years of preaching, 56 years of pastoring one church, always preaching from the King James Version of the Holy Bible. When this petition came out, it came out to say that churches and preachers were also under this mandate. We had to preach what they wanted us to preach because churches would be fine and preachers would be fine. I was one of those subpoenas, my other friend here. We were subpoenaed because they wanted to check our sermons, examine our message. I sent a message to the mayor and to everybody else. Come on, every morning, 11 o'clock, I'll be saying the same thing. <laughs> but they withdrew that because of the power swell of an almighty God Amen. that touched the hearts of ministers and, said, and citizens said, leave the church and the preachers alone. Well, when they sent that out, they thought we was going to back off and be quiet. But they missed one thing. They messed with God's creation. And I will not stand against God. I believe that hero is the most dangerous thing that's ever been orchestrated in the city of Houston. We are blessed to have some people with enough guts to not be political, but to be godly. I'm glad today to stand on the platform here with Ben Hall, 
as the only mural candidate that said, I'm against Hero. I don't know about you. I'm asking the day, well, let me have just a moment. I told God coming up here this morning, I said, look, God, Israel always had more people against them. But you always made it rain. Thank you. You brought That's a storm. Right there. You brought this. I'm running out of time. I would love for you to hear all of these men. Magda Hermida from Cuba. I'm Pastor Magda Hermida. And while I was shocked that the mayor of Houston will subpoena my sermon for opposing her ordinance, I'm more disturbed that we might pass an ordinance to criminalize Christians who disagree with her, sounding very much like what I left behind in communist Cuba. As a woman and mother, I ask you to vote no on Proposition 1 starting on October 19. Paid for by the no on Houston Thank you. proposition. You say, Pastor, why are you involved? They're subpoenaing our sermons. They subpoenaed sermons from... These, some of these are my friends. I've preached for them. I know them. I know Dr. Ed Young and some of the others that you see here. Hernan Castiano, put him up on. He's been my translator in many, many a Spanish sermon. Put, put uh, in Spanish service. You know, when I was up. born, my parents told me as soon as I was born that they say to themselves, we got to bring our son to a nation that is free into a nation of the brave, to a nation where it is okay to say no and not be uh, threatened and not be attacked by saying no. And so they came with this dream, the dream that in this nation, freedom of speech, freedom of religion would always be respected. A year ago, exactly at this week, I was supposed to turn in all my sermons with the subpoena and text and everything else. And that's the day that I said to myself, is this nation a different nation now? This proposition one, we have said no to it. Now, no is such a simple word. Two letters. They come together in the alphabet. And when I was learning English, and I asked, what's the translation from Spanish to English for no? I did not have to learn nothing because it was no. <laughs> and this word is such, so powerful. And it will be very powerful this November in the city of Houston. Thank you. Because Amen. we are saying... I wish you could hear all he has to say. Others, Dr. Con Hewan of the Vietnamese Baptist Church. All of these were men who had their sermons subpoenaed by our mayor. And uh, if you will put that up on the screen. Listen to what he said. He fled Many times to in the our United lives States. When we wake up one day and we say, what's going on? We don't want November the 4th, we wake up and we say, what's going on? Because we know that this ordinance it head to the direction that none of us will please. I come from a country that is called undeveloped. It means that um, many times when the bus stops in the middle of the road, people head to the bush to use restroom. Men and women, they just find their bush. But here we in America, a developed country, the leading of the world, the light, and we backslide to the place that there is no privacy. There's a place that we have no more to say, well, this is my privacy. I have three daughters, and I picked my fight very carefully. And this one, yes. I involved from the beginning because this was to fight for. Because I don't want Thank you. bad That's, people. He goes on to say that he is now asking his family, do we need to flee America the way we need to flee? We had to flee Vietnam. Pastor Willie Davis. 
I'm Pastor Willie Davis. I served our country in the Army Special Forces and have pastored in Houston for over 30 years because I love this city and her people. I've stood with hundreds of my peers of every color against Mayor Parker's ordinance that opens women's restrooms to men and criminalizes people like me in this city just to satisfy her personal agenda. Vote no to men in women's restrooms and vote no on proposition. Thank you. Dr. Steve Riggle, my friend, Grace Community Church on I-45 South. Well, there's a lot of commercials out now and um, things that are purported as fact. Seems to me when there's a lot of information going around, we ought to ask a couple of questions. Are they accurate? Is it true? Probably ought to ask one more. Where did the money come from to fund them? And did it come from Houston or did it come from other parts of the country? I'm told the bulk of all that money has come from outside the city. Those who have an agenda for our city who do not live in our city. Let's talk about whether it's true or not. Because we're told, uh, I've heard it now a number of times, and I hardly watch television. So I've heard it said a number of times that this ordinance would not allow a biological male to simply go into a restroom or a locker room if he simply said he was a male. I've heard it said that he couldn't. Well, let me tell you what the facts are because we have checked that. We checked it at the beginning when this was proposed, not last week. We have asked a number of attorneys, not just in this city, but across the country, people who understand this law. We, um, we even asked the former city attorney, Ben Hall, what does this ordinance say? And 100%, every single one said, by the definitions that are used in the ordinance, the definitions the ordinance uses itself, it would clearly allow a biological male to simply say, at any given time, right now I'm expressing myself as a woman and he has the freedom to go into a locker room or into a restroom in any public or private facility in the city which is open to the public and the police cannot remove him. Uh, the, the former city attorney, Ben Hall, told us that from the very beginning. He said this is a bad ordinance and every attorney we've consulted since then has told us exactly the same thing. So I, along with uh, uh, the other folks that are up here, would encourage everyone to vote no. We don't need this ordinance. Now what's, what's also really important in this is that this is an ordinance. That means that really the city council could do away with this anytime they wanted. So the city council races are really important. So if you're going to vote no on this ordinance, you also ought to vote against any council member yes, who voted for this ordinance. Yes, If you're not aware, you should also be very aware that two main candidates, Sylvester Turner and Adrian Garcia, have both expressed public support for this ordinance. So since they have expressed that and are gathering support from the community who wants this ordinance in place, then what happens if either one of them are elected mayor and they simply propose another ordinance even though we have voted this out because the mayor we have now uh, obviously did not care what the majority of Houston's, uh, Houstonians thought. We ran a poll, we took her a poll. 80% of the poll said, we don't want this ordinance. It didn't matter to the mayor. She wanted this ordinance. She clearly said this was about her. So I think it's important to remember, not vindictively, but just because we, we have to be about the facts. The facts are the facts. I mean, the things that have happened are reality. Four times in the last several months, this mayor, because of deception and defiance, has been rebuked by courts. One of them 
over the rain tax because the language was deceptive. And the other three having to do with this particular ordinance in which the mayor has said, I will win at any cost. It's time to say to the mayor, to say to the council candidates, say to those who are running for mayor in this city, that this city is not about you, it is about the people, Amen. the citizens of this city. We have a right to our opinion. We have a right to whether we want men uh, in women's restrooms, and to that we say no. We do not want biological males. Some have said this is just about transgendered people. It is not how the ordinance reads. The ordinance will be interpreted by what it says. Let's make sure that we all remember that. Let me just say one other thing. We will win or lose based on the folks. There's not enough business people who live in this city to win this ordinance. So the Greater Houston Partnership, they can come out for this if they want. But the bulk of them, they don't live in this town. So how this, how this will be won is if the folks show up. Folks dressed like most everybody up here and folks dressed like me. <laughs> People from the neighborhoods. So we need, what we need is every Houstonian that's registered to vote to show up. And on Houston City, on the city ballot, prop one to vote no. And if you vote no, then you'll make sure that biological males cannot be in women's restrooms or locker rooms in Houston, Texas. Vote no. Thank you. Amen. I would not offend anyone intentionally for any reason, but I think you've heard from a cross-section that represent a number of different ethnicities and races of ministry that this is not what they're saying it is. And you know what I think? I think we're going to have to answer to God for the stewardship of the votes that we have as believers in this nation. Vote. Vote. Amen. Vote, research the issues. Stop allowing groups to make your mind up for you, whether it's your party or anybody else. Don't even allow me to make up your mind up for you. Vote what the issue is according to the tenets of the word of Almighty God and its teaching.